Good morning. Michael has asked uh, me to share a little bit about ourselves and then I'm to preach the message and then Byron asked if I would do communion and I said that's a lot in one Sunday and uh, when we're all do- I-, I know when you get hungry you quit listening so i uh, going to have to shorten some things here and Byron he laughed at me and he said I don't think preachers can shorten messages so I guess the next thing is to shorten what I say about myself so uh, that's what I'm going to do this morning, to shorten that part of it. And God has done a lot in our lives, uh, many wonderful things. And if you want to hear my testimony sometime, uh, we can take a full message time and just uh, share that sometime in the future. So I'm just going to share a few facts about ourselves here. And um, I'm a local boy. I grew up in this area. My grandfather homesteaded uh, north of here between Wainwright and Irma. If you know where the Avon Glen Church is, just north of it is where he homesteaded. And so my roots go very deep in this area. Uh, it's where I lived until I was 28 years old. After uh, high school, I started farming. Uh, at the same time, attending Prairie Bible College. Uh, after Prairie Bible College in 1981, Esther and I were married. And uh, it was shortly after we were married... Uh, that fall, while we were taking the harvest off, I had an accident uh, which got hit on top of the head and that uh, crushed the front plate, the uh, front half of my skull down and underneath the back half. And I, I was left with a severe brain injury at that time and uh, I've had a constant uh, headache. It's never been gone since. And also uh, it compressed the C1 and C2 of the spine. And so I just live with the daily uh, neck and shoulder pain. And I don't have time to go into the details of uh, what that's done and impacted us. But needless to say, it's impacted our lives greatly and still does today. But partly what God was doing through that, uh, he was reducing me to nothing so he can show his grace and his power and his mercy. And in 1985, uh, God called us to leave the farm and to enter the ministry. And so uh, we have pastored churches for most of the time since. In the last number of years, uh, God has led us into uh, transitional ministry. And uh, what transitional ministry is, is going in for short times Uh, Usually churches that uh, want help for specific reasons and uh, you help them with whatever they're looking for help with there. And so usually they're about a year. And um, so we've been doing that uh, for the last uh, few years here now. Uh, We moved back to this area in April. Uh, To me, it's where do you retire? Where do you go to? And uh, it's... um, my home area, so we moved back here in the end of April. We've been living in our holiday trailer ever since while we're setting up an acreage. And uh, hopefully this week we can move into our house. That's our hope. If uh, the plumber gets the natural gas hooked up, uh, we'll be doing that. And uh, we're going to be very happy to be out of the holiday trailer and into a house again. So we're hoping. Family-wise, we have four children, our son, and then three daughters that followed him. Three of them live at high level, 
and uh, one lives at Grimshaw, so they're all in the North Country. They're all married with children, and we have 12 grandchildren whom we enjoy greatly. And so, the great thing with uh, media nowadays, uh, you get to sit there and see their, at least their faces while you're talking with them, and we appreciate that. As we go into uh, communion this morning, uh, I understand this is the first time for about two and a half years where it's going to be served to you, and so it'll be great to be back to that again, and uh, I'm new to you and how you do it. Uh, I think you do it pretty much the same way I'm used to, but uh, what we're going to do when I, after we call the servers up, uh, I'll have them serve and uh, you just hold it until uh, they're back up front and then I'll pray and then we'll partake of uh, the bread or the cup, whichever it is. And so that's our procedure this morning. But before we do that, uh, well, actually the service may as well come up now. Uh, well, I just give a few words before we begin. So if they want to come up, that'd be great. I want to just take you to a few of Jesus' words uh, just right before his crucifixion. And uh, we're going to be looking at these words in more depth as we get into the message. And so I'm not going to give you the passages. They're all from John 13 through 15. Uh, that's the record of the last things that he was saying before he was crucified. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than he lay down his life for his friends. In these last two and a half years, I don't think I've ever seen the Christian church, especially what we'd call evangelical churches of Canada, being so divided is under COVID. I've seen friends canceling out friends, families dividing and not talking or getting together, people no longer going to church. And it was about a year and a half ago I had a board member in a church say this. He said, I, I hate this. I hate what COVID is doing to us. To which the chairman of the board replied, he said, COVID isn't doing this to us. It's only revealing what is already in our hearts. And yes, I believe COVID has been the great revealer of hearts. And what's the answer to all of that? Well, Jesus' last words give us the answer. It's love. This morning as we celebrate communion, we celebrate love. We remember how much God loves us. Jesus says, to the same extent that the Father loves him, he loves you. How much does the Father love Jesus? Limitless. You, you can't measure it. In the same way, I love you, and he goes on in the same passage, and he says, there's no greater love than to lay down your life for your friends. And the next day, 
He laid down his life for his friends. That's you. You're his friend. And he laid down his life. He showed us the extent of his love. And as he did so, he tells us to love each other with the same extent of love that he has shown us. So this morning we take the bread and we remember his body which was broken for us, was whipped, nailed to the cross. We take the cup and we remember his blood which flowed out as a payment for our sins. And as we partake, we're remembering his love. So as we partake this morning, I just encourage you to renew your love for him. That's to be the response to that love. Renew your love to him and also renew your love for each other. And if you're coming this morning and you have anything, a relationship where you need to renew that love of Jesus for that person, before you partake this morning, just make that commitment to the Lord. Yes, Lord. I'll go to that person. I'll renew my love, the same love that you have for me for that person. So reading from 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed took bread. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we marvel at the love of Jesus. This bread that we hold in our hands right now represents his body. He came, became one of us to have a body so he could die that perfect sinless death on the cross so that he could take our sins upon him and die for them, pay the penalty for them. And so we rejoice as we partake this morning and we marvel at the love that is behind it. We just thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen.
The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. the same way after supper he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes let's pray the Bible says that the life is in the blood and this cup which represents the blood of Jesus, represents his life. And Jesus said there's no greater love than that someone lay down their life for their friends. So Lord Jesus, this morning we just thank you that you had that wonderful love, that you were willing to lay down your life. I marvel that you call us friends. We don't deserve that but you've chosen to call us friends and to give your life for us. And so together as a congregation, as your people, we give thanks to you this morning that you laid down your life for us, your friends. And Father, we just thank you that you sent Jesus to do so. 
the same love that Jesus has for us, you have for us, and we give you thanks. In the name of Jesus, amen. I want you to picture this in your minds, if you can, this morning. This morning you find out that you're going to die tomorrow. So you only have a few hours of life left. You came here, good health, expecting lots of life. But you find out that tomorrow's the end. And this knowledge enables you to gather all your friends and your family around you so that you can say goodbye to them. But as you think about what you want to say to them, you want to try to impart some words of wisdom to them. Give them some words of encouragement that is going to impact their lives for good. What would you say to them? Have you ever thought about that? What you would want your last words to be? Because they're very important. Your, your friends and your family will never forget them. That's exactly the situation we find Jesus in as he comes to chapter 13 and on in John. He, these are his last words. It's his last hours with his friends. And so he's carefully choosing those words. These are words that he wants them to remember forever that's going to impact them forever. They're the most important things that he can say to them. Earlier this spring, as Esther and I, we were reading through these words of Jesus, they're just something stood out to me. And I realized there's a theme. He, He has a lot of things to say. But through it all, there's a theme that's running through these last words. So rather than turn to your Bibles, I want you just to listen to these words and the theme. So I picked out uh, the theme as as it runs through. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, you must love one another. By this all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. If you love me, you will obey what I command. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he's the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. The world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what the Father has commanded me. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever it is you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, now so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I've learned from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. And so there's this theme that runs through his words, these last words. And the theme is this. If we love God, we will love each other. 
And if we love God, we will obey God and we will love each other. He keeps saying those same thoughts over and over again. In those hours, he kept bringing those, those same thoughts back and over again to the disciples. And so God's love for us and our love for God is equated or linked to our love for each other. In fact, God's love for us and our love for God has to result in love for each other. You cannot separate them. As I have loved you, he says, so you must love one another. This is so important that Jesus repeats it. He says, love each other as I have loved you. Does God love you? How many of you believe that God loves you? Then love each other. Jesus is saying you can't separate those two thoughts. If you truly know and understand God's love, it has to result in you loving each other. And so the reverse we could say is also true. If you don't love each other, you still don't truly know and understand God's love. John picks up this theme in 1 John chapter 4, verse, starting in verse 19. He says, we love because he first loved us. So the same two thoughts put together. If you understand God's love, we will love. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. You can't hate someone else and say you love God. One of those statements is a lie. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. That's a strong statement. If you don't love someone, he says you cannot love God. And he's given this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. And so the principle that John has here is if you have genuinely experienced God's love, there's going to result in a change in your life where you will love each other. The two just go together. And so John also adds that reverse thought. We like to say that we love God. To love God is to love each other. So whichever way you think of it, the love has to go together. And so you cannot hate someone, you cannot be bitter against someone, you cannot be unforgiving, unkind, and love God. At age 14, I was very bitter against an individual. And then God sent revival to a youth group, and that youth group came to our youth group at Avonglen to hold services. And I believe, Greg, you were one of those that came there. During those services, God spoke to me about my bitterness. And he showed me that the two, his love and my bitterness, could not exist together. And that day, he made it very, very clear that I had two paths that I could choose in life. I could choose my bitterness, but it would be a path without God. Or I could choose God, but it would have to be a path without bitterness. And so if I was going to choose God, I had to choose to forgive and love. You see, those two paths go in opposite directions. You cannot choose bitterness. You cannot choose to hate someone 
because it's a path without God. And so this is what Jesus and John are trying to tell us. You cannot love God and not love other people. And during COVID, I've seen some things which have greatly concerned me in churches. COVID uh, being that great revealer of hearts. I've seen Christian people throw eggs, plaster them all over Alberta Health Region vehicles. And these weren't people who were making the decisions about COVID. These were computer technicians. Had nothing to do with that. Yet they come out from work to find their vehicles plastered with eggs by Christian people. Well, if you want to put John's and Jesus' words into that context, you cannot say, I love you, Lord, and throw eggs. You cannot do that. No matter what you think about COVID and what you think about government policies and so on, you cannot say, I love you, Lord, and throw eggs. I've seen anger and resentment and bitterness come out, and yes, from both sides, uh, whichever side people are lining up about COVID, I've seen that anger and so on. Yes, there has been many concerning things. Most of us would agree with that. And there are still many concerning things going on out there. But in spite of the concerning things, to love God is to love others. To love even those who disagree with us. Those who love God do not cancel out those who disagree with them. And yet I've seen so many people, they cancel out everyone who doesn't agree with them. Jesus, when he was asked what the greatest commandment was, and the, uh, the Sadducees were trying to trick him and uh, get him to say something they could grab hold of him and accuse him of, and he had silenced them, and so the Pharisees came and they said, what's the greatest commandment, hoping they could grab onto something there. And Jesus goes right back to love. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Even Jesus doesn't separate there. When he, they ask him what's the greatest commandment, he gives them two. Because if you're going to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, you have to love your neighbor yourself. You can't separate them. And so he didn't separate them. Jesus even takes this further. He says, your love for your fellow man is the proof of your discipleship. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples by your love for each other. That's the proof of your discipleship, that you're following him. It's your testimony to the world. And so what we could say is that confessing your love for God is meaningless unless you're practicing that love toward each other. You're, if you're here this morning and you're singing songs of praise and love to the Lord, it's meaningless if you're not loving each other. Your testimony is meaningless. Your actions are canceling out your words there. There's been a certain pastor that's been prominent in the news, and um, does he have legitimate grievances? Well, many people would say yes, he has many legitimate grievances, and uh, he's been very much persecuted for... His stance he's taken. But we've seen him call out in anger to authorities and call them some pretty severe names. 
And that's not love. You see, his, his actions cancel his profession of love for God. Does he love the Lord? He would say yes. And I'd say yes, there is probably a genuine love there. But you know, we can get caught in that trap where we think we're loving the Lord, but our actions are canceling out what we're saying. 1 John 3, John said, We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Uh, going down to verse 16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. And then going down a little further, he says, uh, this is how, then how we know that we belong to the truth and how we can set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Are you struggling with assurance? John says, go back and look at your love for others. It's the evidence that God has done a work in your life. And if you see a love for others, that can set your heart at rest about your relationship with Jesus. So those are strong words. Uh, also in that passage, he says, if we hate our brother, there's no eternal life in us. In other words, if you've never passed from death to life, you're still going to live in hatred. Those are strong words. And yet, how many Christians are still holding on forgiveness, resentments, bitterness towards others? How many Christians, oh, on, it's more a neutral way we could say it, but they're just simply carrying on life. They're focused on their own desires, their own wants. They're giving very little thought to the needs of others. And John picks up that example, and he says, if you see your brother in need and you don't help him out, that too is hatred. That's not love. And so we're to love not just with our words, but with our actions. We're to love with how we do business, how we treat others, how we do everything. Years ago when we were in high level, uh, we bought two bush quarters at a government auction. That was crown land that they were auctioning off. And after the auction, I found out that there was a Christian man. He didn't go to our church. He went to another church, but his brother came to our church. He'd been sitting behind me bidding, so I had no idea that he was bidding. And so as the price was going up, and it was still a good price, uh, he looked around to see who was bidding against him. And he saw it was I that was bidding against him. Now here's what the situation was. These two brothers were in, in logging and construction. They had done well. Uh, they were farming on a small way. It was kind of their farming on the side. But their desire was to swing over and do more farming and less construction and uh, logging. And so they were buying up land. Wherever they could get land, uh, they were buying it up. And uh, they were going to get serious about farming. And so this one brother had come to the auction to buy land for them. And so as he was bidding, as he looked around and he realized it was me that was bidding against him, he just quit bidding and I got the land. Later, uh, when I questioned his brother about it, his brother said that his brother had quit because he wanted to see me get the land. It was more important to him to see me get the land than he increase his holdings. That's love. 
He could have outbid me. He had way more resources than I did. No one would have questioned it. That's the system in an auction. Is you highest bidder gets it, right? But love that day said, quit bidding and give it to him, even though it came at a loss of potential for him. Love won out over his personal desires. That's the kind of thing that John is talking about. Those are the kind of actions that John says sets our hearts at rest about our salvation. They reveal to us that we really have changed. We're not like the world living for our selfish gain, but rather we're motivated, motivated by love. John goes on and he says, If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. He says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. He says, All that's going to pass away. All your cravings, the sinful desires, everything is going to pass away. The only thing that's going to last is the person who does the will of God. And so what John is saying, that there can be no competition between your desires and your love for this world and loving God. Now John is not talking about normal desires. God has given us this world to enjoy. What John is talking about is when those desires, even legitimate desires, come between you and God. And they become more important than God is. And so if you love this world, John says, you don't love God. If you love God, you don't love this world. I'll give myself as an example of this. I love farming. I love the land. I started farming right out of high school, and I farmed until I was 28. But one day God asked me to give it all up for his sake. And that was hard for me. It was one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life was to give up the land. And those of you who are farmers and you know that connection to the land. And that was a struggle. For years I struggled with that. Every spring and fall when I'd see the farmers getting out and starting to plant the land or take off the crops, my heart just wanted to be there. Wanted to be doing that. And it was a struggle. But God came and the test for me was, do you love me more than the land? Your test will be different. But for all of us, there will be something in your life where God comes to, me, comes to you and says, do you love me more than this? Are you willing to give it up for me? The rich young ruler is his money. Jesus said, go sell it all. Come follow me. Yours will be different. But all of us will have that test there. And so Jesus doesn't uh, give us any options about this. We're to love God more than the world or anything of it. The early Christians took it seriously. They were willing to sell their possessions, even give up their lands to make sure there was no needs among them. Jesus doesn't even give us any options about our enemies. Love your enemies. Pray for them. Do good to them. Bless them. You have to love them. Now, who's your enemy? Well, if you were in the Ukraine, you would say it was the Russians who are shooting at you right now, right? But we don't have that. Your enemy may be sitting right here in the service this morning, someone who's broke a confidence. You confided in them and they, you thought they would keep it as a secret. And you were hurt when they broke it. Maybe it was someone who made fun of you. Someone who used you spitefully, gossiped about you. 
Maybe there's someone who's defrauded you and didn't pay a bill. The list is endless. How far are we to go in our love for our enemies? To the same extent that he went in his love for us. My command is this, love each other as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. My command is this, love each other as I've loved you. And so Jesus' first point is love for God is equated to love for each other. You cannot separate them. His second point is love for God is equated to obedience. If you love God, you're going to obey God. You can't have one without the other. If you love me, you will obey what I command. And he brings a right full circle on a new command I give you, love one another. John 14.31 gives us the principle here. He says, the world, that's us, you must learn that I love the Father and I do exactly what the Father has commanded me. You know, you think, we think Jesus came and he lived a perfect sinless life because he was perfect, right? He says, I lived a perfect sinless life. I did complete obedience. Why? He doesn't point to his perfection, which is true. He points to his love for the Father. I had 100% obedience because I had 100% love. We will obey as far as we love. And our obedience reflects how much we do love. So it's very simple. Do you love God? The evidence of that is how well you obey his commands. And he specifically brings out the command of loving each other. And so I love you, God, is equated to I obey you, God, which is equated to I love, each other, I love others. So you obey that which you love. This is, if you remember one thing this morning, is this, go home with it. You obey that which you love. Everything you do in life is motivated by love. That's what Jesus is trying to teach us, the key principle. What we love results in actions that obey that love. You can reverse that and just look at your actions and now you determine what you love. And so if you're a farmer and you're buying more land, that action flows out of some kind of love. The action itself is neutral. Not wrong to buy more land. But is it coming out of a love for God or a love for self or a love for something else? The clothes you wear flows out of a love. The house you live in is a result of love. How you approach your sexual life comes out of what you love. How you pursue and approach money comes out of love. Who you choose as friends, who you ignore and avoid, all comes out of a love. So some of these things are neutral in and of themselves. They're not wrong in themselves, necessarily. But what's the motivation behind them? There's a motivation of love behind them. Either love of yourself or love of this world or love of God. All your life is determined by love. And often we do not know what motivates us until we face a crisis. At the Last Supper, Jesus uh, told the disciples he was going to be taken away and uh, he was going to be uh, crucified uh, and that they would all flee from him as he did this. Uh, Peter takes exception to this. 
And he basically says, me abandon you, Lord? No way. You're out of your mind. You do not understand me if you think that I would abandon you. I thought after three and a half years, you would understand me better than this. I would give my life for you, Jesus. Now, was Peter sincere? He thought so. But Jesus calls him on it. Because Jesus knew that Peter's love for himself was still deeper than his love for Jesus. And before the night was over, his actions would prove it. Jesus knew that everything we do is motivated by love. The question is love of what? And Peter still didn't understand what he truly loved yet. And before the night was over, he found out that he loved his own life more than, and his own safety more than he loved the Lord. As Jesus was arrested, he fled into the darkness to escape being arrested with him. Feeling ashamed, he creeps back later in the evening and he tries to kind of hide in the crowd around the fire and so on. When confronted three times, he denies the Lord and the, for the second time he flees out in the darkness because he loved himself more than he loved the Lord. This is why after the resurrection, as Jesus meets them on the beach, three times he says to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? What are the these? He doesn't say. I think he left that open-ended for us. Because Jesus is putting your name there and he's still asking the question, Don, do you love me more than... And I fill in the blank. God will put that in your heart, what that blank is. Do you want to be free from the love of self? The answer is to cultivate your love for Jesus. When you love Jesus more than whatever that is that you fill the blank in, then obedience comes. When you love Jesus more than you love to speed, you'll no longer speed. When you love Jesus more than you love your own way, children, you'll start to obey your parents. When you love Jesus more than you love to gossip, you'll no longer gossip, but become a person of encouragement. When you love Jesus more than pornography, that addiction that you've been fighting, you'll finally be on the road to recovery. When you love Jesus more than you love money or houses or whatever, you have to fill in the blank. But the principles, once again, everything that we do is motivated by love. What we love will result in actions that obey that love. We obey that which we love. Let's pray. Father, these are hard words. They're words that we've all struggled with, I've struggled with. They're words that just as Esther and I were reading them earlier this spring, uh, you just really spoke again through those words, these last words of Jesus. And I just ask that through your Holy Spirit, you would just speak about the love that is in our hearts and what do we truly love. 
And it's my prayer that each of us could answer, like Peter after the resurrection, answer yes. Jesus, I love you more than whatever it is. I pray this in Jesus' name.